Discussing the news that matters. Light Breakfast Front Page. On front page with me this morning, Eddie Hu, a managing editor from The Sun Daily and Prabhaganesan, the chief executive at Kwasa, a democracy outreach organization. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, that was perfectly choreographed. <laughs> now, um, it looks like there's new information on the plans or even possible whereabouts of fugitive businessman Joe Lowe. Um, we've seen pictures of his uh, new passport. It's a Cypriot passport, from what I understand. Um, can you enlighten us? I mean, uh, how can a country issue a passport despite, you know, clear risk report? Eddie? Well, there are countries that offer uh, second passports for sale. Second passports refer to travel documents uh, issued by countries uh, that the applicants did not reside in. Yeah. Yeah, they, where they don't originate from. So does this mean that Jolo is now a resident or a citizen of Cypriot? Not necessary. Countries are independent and um, they can do what they want to do. Having said that, whether or not a person resides there, whether they want to issue out even like a technical digital uh, passport as Estonia mm-hmm. does, is that, or as people talked about South American countries in the 50s and 60s giving uh, passports to former Nazi criminals. Uh, yeah, exactly. it's, it's not our place to judge what countries do. Mm. especially a country like Malaysia, which prides itself that other countries should not interfere in the affairs of our country. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ca- can I add to that? Well, to answer your question on Cyprus, it mm-hmm. began offering passports uh, citizenship to foreigners uh, with investment of 2.5 million euros after its 2013 recessions. Uh, as for how we could exp- issue passport despite a clear risk report, I think this question is uh, better directed at the country itself. Right. Okay. So we're going to have to get in touch with some embassy official. Uh, according to the report, though, Joe Lo had obtained the passport in 2015. I mean, if he is really there, can he be extradited? The quick answer is no. First of all, we don't have an extradition treaty with Cyprus, but mm-hmm. as in previous examples, Malaysia doesn't necessarily respect extradition <laughs> treaties when, right. it com- when it concerns external uh, citizens who reside in Malaysia. So having said that, it's a little bit like people in glass houses uh, throwing stones. Mm-hmm. And we are a member of ASEAN and ASEAN prides itself in non-interference. No matter what happens in your country, don't say anything. And if that is the spirit that Malaysia has pushed for it's kind of hard for us to say Cyprus you have to meet a different standard to mm. which Malaysia meets uh, do you have any thoughts on that Eddie? Uh, yes uh, well Malaysia doesn't have uh, understanding with Cyprus on mutual assistance in uh, criminal matters uh. yeah even if we do there's no guarantee that wanted criminal could be extradited right well if you take the case of uh, Cyril Asa Uma for example mm-hmm. he has been sentenced to death um, fled to Australia but he has not been extradited. Yeah, that he's is still despite, there, isn't he? Yes, this is despite uh, Australia has an, this understanding with us. Uh, that is because Australia has a law against uh, extraditing people who are facing the death penalty. Mm. So there's no absolute. Right. Okay. So, I mean, the more important question is with regards to ensuring the capture of this uh, elusive businessman. I mean, what can we do? With very little we can do as Malaysia, as a country, mm-hmm. in previous uh, precedences, it has been about whether there's a moral hazard. That means the person who's residing in that country is despised by a lot of people and has committed things like genocide. Mm. 
commercial crimes or alleged commercial crimes don't necessarily fall in that list. So Jolo comes into a different category. It's very difficult to create the moral hazard. Okay, well, coming up next, officials are scrambling to save the RCEP. What is that about? Well, we'll ask our panelists next. On front page with me this morning, Propaganesan, uh, he's a columnist with Malay Mail, and Eddie Hu, managing editor from The Sun Daily. And it looks like officials and trade ministers are scrambling to salvage the regional comprehensive economic partnership negotiations following reports that India is making new demands. I know there's been an update. Um, can you tell us first what uh, what is the regional comprehensive economic partnership? Well, as it reads, it involves ASEAN 10, uh, ASEAN 11, and also FTA partners China, Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, and India. Apparently, it would be huge and immense. But really, getting out of the alphabet soup, it's about yet another free trade agreement mm-hmm. between partners in ASEAN and friends without the U.S. in it. Right. And how huge is Malaysia's, um, I guess, uh, influence in this partnership? Well, influence and participation are two different things. Uh, Malaysia is urging it to happen. And this might be uh, a fallback from the collapse of the TPP uh, X number of years, years ago, where then America then removed itself from the process. I think the real challenge is any type of free trade agreement or any type of regional agreement is about timelines because you've got to get it done within a period. If not, the leaders change and sometimes agendas move. Right. What is the ultimate goal, uh, Prabha, of this partnership? And what will happen if a consensus isn't reached by all its members? I understand that India has pulled out, yeah? Well, first of all, uh, unlike the TPP process, which had America very involved and a lot of civil society in Malaysia very involved because they were opposed to it this RCEP is pretty much in the shadows in terms of this government hasn't really produced or provided a lot of information to Malaysian Malaysian public there's not a lot of engagement Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as civil society I'm a member of civil society has has occurred so in that sense we don't really know because in agreements like this about details the devil's in the details. So that's what really needs to be looked at. So it's hard for me to comment in, in regards to what actually will actually come out or it will materialize. All right. When we come back, uh, it looks like there's something fishy in the speedy conclusion of Mindef's chopper purchase. That's what Patriot is saying. Well, that's next. On front page with me this morning, Propaganesan, the chief executive at Kwasa, a democracy outreach organization, and Eddie Hu, managing editor from The Sun Daily. Now, the procurement of six helicopters costing more than 300 million ringgit by the defense ministry in 2016 was flawed from the start and the speedy conclusion is suspicious. This is what the National Patriots Association uh, alleges. If the government doesn't want to spend the money, why don't they just cancel the order um, the way they have overturned other projects like the MRT, the ECRL, and etc.? Eddie? Well, uh, the six helicopters cost more than uh, 300 million ringgit and uh, 113 million had been paid. That's nearly 50%. Uh, that's too big a loss to incur if you were to cancel the order. Yeah, but those um, helicopters haven't been, you know, uh, delivered, right? Yes, yes, but uh, it's still legally binding. Right. You see, we're talking about, um, for example, ECRL. Let me just go into that for a while. Well, uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, has uh, published reports that suggested 
the money missing from uh, ACR, right? It's, it's a cover-up of misuse of the 1MDB funds. Um, I shall not comment on that. There's, mm-hmm. uh, the court case is ongoing. Um, right. Well, until the accused is found guilty, all that has been printed is just a speculation at the moment. Mm-hmm. The contract between two countries can only be declared void, null, if there's a mistake on both parts. But beyond legality, there's uh, various factors at play, including good relationships between the two countries. All right. Speaking of the two countries, it's Russia, isn't it, that we've bought these helicopters from? Well, defense contracts and defense procurements are always going to be opaque right. in the sense that they are sensitive and they involve national defense. So by their nature, there will always be a lot of details not present and that's for mm. just reason. And it also means sometimes they are protected and even if there are problems with it. The positive that's coming from this is that A, MINDEF has filed a report against it and B, externally patriot closely associated with the armed forces has a problem with it. So from inside and outside, there are valid concerns about it. Now the ball's in the court of the government, Matsabu, mm-hmm. to do something about it. Can it accelerate action or can it just buy time? Right, that's a big question. Now apparently an agent was involved in this purchase and uh, apparently due diligence was not carried out. Should the MACC step in to investigate? Your thoughts? Well, that's for the MACC to decide for itself based on the information made available to them, and they can always request that information. But I think this is part of a wave in which we're ty- starting to re- or question the idea of middlemen. Uh, the government already cancelled uh, Farmer Niagara's uh, contract on the Ministry of Health uh, last week. So is this what we are seeing, a new wave in which we're reconsidering and re-examining the roles of middlemen across the ministries Mm -hmm. in procurement. All right, when we come back, the education ministry says that there is no issue of shortage of teachers. That's only temporary. We'll take a look at that one next. On front page with me this morning, Eddie Hu from the Sun Daily and Propaganesen from Le Mail. And uh, it looks like there is no shortage of teachers. It is only temporary. The Education Ministry says that this temporary issue is caused by unexpected factors like optional retirement, death, half pay and no pay leave exceeding a year, courses exceeding over a year and discontinued services and resignations. They said that uh, there are teachers. So how do you feel we can increase the size of the teaching pool? Your thoughts, Eddie? First off, let me talk about teachers in general. Eh? You see, um, if you look at school teachers in China, uh, they are regarded uh, of, as having um, highest uh, public status among uh, all professions, including doctors uh, and social workers. Mm, that isn't uh, the case here in Malaysia so much. Uh, well, uh, according to the Wake Foundation, uh, which is a global uh, education charity foundation, Malaysia is second on the list. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not a case of the profession losing its luster over here. What could be the issue here? The average uh, salary rate for a teacher in Malaysia is uh, 1,850 ringgit to 2,500 ringgit per month. Well, if you compare that with the earnings of a private tutor, I think we can see where a big part of the problem lies. Exactly. I guess insufficient remuneration has been a trend for many years. Should we not then channel more funds towards getting quality teachers, dedicated teachers, as opposed to buying, I don't know, helicopters maybe? (laughs) Prabha, your thoughts? 
it's a slippery slope when you start talking about let's not spend on that let's spend on this and will be an unending uh, debate and discussion um i mean it's easy to just get into defense and say we don't have a war to fight but there are valid reasons why you spend how you spend to the different sectors but the issue is teachers are rarely going to be paid as much as CEOs and senior executives in top corporations that's just the fact that's just the situation of the world it is in some essence and i i back what eddie said it's a question of how do we position teaching in our society and maybe purpose to it would help and maybe the uh, minister of education going school to school and telling teachers that how amazing work they're doing in changing lives and pushing forward mm-hmm. the future of malaysia it's about how we look at teaching and lift it up as a profession that we all should respect exactly well interestingly enough you know teach from malaysia tfm has done some great work and you have um, people from different industries you know career uh, professionals who have decided that they were going to take time out of their jobs or even resign from their jobs to teach full time at local schools so uh, you know there is there is a small segment of real dedicated educators who want to make a difference yeah i feel Well in the case of Teach for Malaysia with uh, Zami Zukifli mm-hmm. and 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 gang it's a small dedicated group and completely we have to applaud them but having said that it's for a short period these mm-hmm. people are going into the trenches making a difference obviously but they would admit to also that we need long term systemic change to make sure that we have proper impact for the whole country rather than a small segment. All right. When we come back, uh, exciting uh, times in Tanjung PI that's coming up. Pakatan is facing tough competition. That's next. And on front page with me this morning from Kuasa Democracy Outreach Organization Propagandaison and managing editor from the Sun Daily Eddie Hu and exciting times to be had soon in Tanjung PI the by-election is now seeing a six-cornered fight between Carmine Sardini for PH Datuk Sri Dr Wijek Seng from Barisan National Wendy Subramanian from Gerakan and three new candidates that I've just learned about Dato um Dr Badrul Hisham Abdul Aziz from Burjasa and two independent candidates Dr Ang Chuan Lok and Farida Aryani Abdul Ghaffar um so it's suddenly become a six corner fight uh, who are these other candidates uh, that have entered the race Eddie Grakan has uh, entered the fray to test the water it is contesting for its first by election since the GE14 it has left the bn coalition and it wants to test its uh, electoral support bajasa is unhappy that barisan nasional did not feel the malay candidate right and it is expressing its displeasure by standing there mm, i see the two independents are using the by elections to highlight their causes one is a representative of the b40 group and voice of discontent yes for the disgruntled taxi operators mm-hmm. farida aryani yes, is it yes yes another one sees himself as the third voice that is dr ang ah oh, okay so uh, right uh, your thoughts um, on these three new candidates well it's a two horse race so the less we talk about the other four mm. the better we off to discuss the election it is a bnph race a bersatu mca competition gerakan would be happy if they don't lose their deposit in Tanjung <laughs> PI and that's right. the truth of it it's a party long past expiration date 
and they're trying to find some oxygen to resuscitate. The issue here is about that kind of delicate divide of voters where you have a, a larger Malay population in uh, Tanjung Piai and the Chinese population and the dynamics in which how both these coalitions are going to factor race into the competition and how that will factor in. Didn't we hear Dr. Wee say that, you know, oh, we're, we're going to avoid talking about race and, and using this as a, a platform? He re- represents a Chinese-only party. I can't see how he can avoid it. It's a very disingenuous statement to make from a man from a party that represents only Chinese people as much as he would like to say it. I think everybody wants to feel mm-hmm. they're the in New Malaysia. But I think Malaysian politicians have become part of New Malaysia if they want to talk about uh, non-race politics in this country. Okay. You don't feel that the um, three other candidates uh, joining this fray will have an impact at all on the by-election? Well, I, I, I think Gerakan uh, will be the spoiler here. His candidate, Wendy Surupaniam, mm-hmm. uh, could win uh, as much as that. 3,000 Chinese votes, turning the by-election in the PN's favour. That's a possibility. Uh, well, we wait and see if uh, Dato Dr. Badrul uh, Hisham gets to keep his deposit. <laughs> but uh, as for the two independents, I think it's a foregone conclusion. Right. Well, gentlemen, it's been enlightening. Uh, thank you so much for joining me this morning on Front Page. You're welcome, Shaz, for having us. Well, it's always good that uh, we get to share our opinion with the public. All right. And of course, that was Eddie Hu, Managing Editor from The Sun Daily and Propaganesan, the Chief Executive at Kwasa Democracy Outreach Organization.